Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. President Biden led the nation this week in mourning the latest victims of what he decried as the hate that remains a stain on the soul of America. That hate, this time, menaced in the form of a lone white supremacist who targeted blacks in a grocery store in Buffalo. He killed ten and injured three. The irony was not lost on me that Biden seemed every bit as sincere this week as he did when he decried the same hate five years ago. Back then it menaced in the form of a battalion of ticky-tort-carrying white supremacists marching in Charlottesville, shouting, You cannot replace us. Their march instantly inspired a lone white supremacist to plow his car into a countermarch of people demanding the removal of Confederate statues. He killed one and injured 35. But their march also instantly incited Joe Biden to run for president to replace Donald Trump, who he blamed for giving white supremacists license to mainstream their racial and xenophobic grievances. Apropos of which, the newfangled Great Replacement Conspiracy that radicalized that gunman in Buffalo is the same one that galvanized those marchers in Charlottesville. And the fear that binds them is that Jews are lording over a feudal system of blacks, Hispanics, and immigrants from shithole countries designed to transform America from a land of mostly white, clean, and peaceful suburbs into one of mostly diverse, dirty, and violent ghettos. <laughs> I kid you not. But this is gun-crazy America. So when news broke of this latest mass shooting, you would have been forgiven a morbid feeling of déjà vu, or a cynical greeting of Groundhog Day. As NPR reported this week, there have already been 198 similar shootings this year. There were 693 last year and 611 the year before that. More to the point, though, at a March 2021 congressional hearing, FBI Director Christopher Wray testified that white supremacists commit the vast majority of all racially motivated shootings and other hate crimes in America. And some of those crimes now stand out, like 9-11. Most notably, 
the white supremacist who targeted Asians at spas in Atlanta in 2021. He killed eight and injured one. The white supremacist who targeted Hispanics at a Walmart in El Paso in 2019. He killed 22 and injured 26. The white supremacist who targeted Jews at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh in 2018. He killed 11 and injured 6. And the white supremacist who targeted blacks at the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston in 2015. He killed 9 and injured 1. But blacks are targeted for hate crimes more than any other group, which of course should surprise nobody. Still, for the record, according to FBI data, they were the victims of 48.5% of all reported hate crimes in 2020, whereas whites were the victims of 15.7%. Hispanics the victims of 14.1% and Asians the victims of 4.4%. Even so, united we stand, divided we fall. That is the famous motto coined by the least famous of America's founding fathers, John Dickinson. It moved me to chastise blacks for failing to stand in solidarity with Asians after hate crimes began spiking against them in late 2020. I did so in the blog commentary, Violence Against Asians Hurts and Affects Us All, on February 27, 2021. Remarkably, almost as if to test my clarion call, Mere weeks later, on March 16, 2021, a white supremacist targeted Asians at spas in Atlanta, as I cited earlier. But I was heartened when, just two days later, Reverend Al Sharpton opened a press conference at the headquarters of his National Action Network as follows. I am joined by Asian American leaders, New York City mayoral candidates and advocates at the National Action Network House of Justice to denounce the rise of attacks against Asian Americans. End quote. That said, Nothing reflects the perverse culture of death that is so uniquely American, quite like there being no discernible difference between the way Biden led the nation last week in mourning the one million people who died from COVID and the way he led it this week in mourning the 10 people who died from this mass shooting. Anyway, as I alluded to earlier, the sympathy these mass shootings evoke 
has become coarsened by the repetitive nature of the national mourning and political pledging that occasioned them. The Einsteinian definition of crazy <laughs> comes to mind. But we all know these shootings keep happening because there is all kinds of power, political gain, and financial profit in peddling easy access to assault weapons and in propagating the poisonous ideology of white supremacy. The welfare of the country, let alone the lives of fecund minorities, be damned. So go ahead and vent your spleen at gun manufacturers, their NRA lobbyists, and the venal politicians who carry their water. Because the reason that security guard with a handgun did not stand a chance when that white supremacist with an assault rifle entered his grocery store in Buffalo is that Despite the efforts of Democrats like Biden to ban them, Republicans have effectively championed the right of Americans to keep and bear such weapons of war. Meanwhile, whether you're at school, in church, at a concert, in a grocery store, or even at home, no place in America is safe from the epidemic of gun violence. And no politician can say anything after these tragic events to offer anyone any solace, let alone security. I address the senselessness of it all in commentaries like This Gun Control Debate is insane. On April 5, 2015. Uh, by the way, blaming the scourge of mass shootings on mental illness is rather like blaming the scourge of drug trafficking on poverty. And I refer you in this regard to commentaries like NRA cares no more about gun violence than drug cartels do. On June 17, 2014. Now to the media's complicity. Because they cover mass shootings like natural disasters, complete with doomsday music, heart-rending chirons, and eyewitness interviews all of which they know will keep viewers watching like Robineckus gawking at a car wreck. And the only reason they do is that such coverage guarantees ratings that generate easy profit. Nothing is more cynical in this context than reporters scavenging through the lunatic rantings, i.e. the manifestos and social media pages of these shooters for insights, because none of them can report a single case where doing so has ever prevented a mass shooting. But the media keep feeding, because you 
keep consuming. I assure you, only that explains them rewarding these psychos by giving them the fame they covet. That is, by plastering their pathetic mugs everywhere and reporting pop psychology about how and why they committed their crimes. Because it is clear to see, especially in this age of instant celebrity, why some loser kid would find this route to infamy simply irresistible. Given that gun control is now an oxymoron, the only effective way to prevent these mass shootings is to focus media attention on the victims and treat these shooters as national embarrassments whose names are not even worthy of mention because they are not. As things stand, the media are openly conspiring, not just to glorify each mass shooter, but to encourage others. This because the only thing that drives media coverage of mass shootings is the same thing that drives the manufacture of assault rifles, and that is financial profit, the welfare and safety of the American people, be damned. If I sound a little frustrated, even angry, it's because I've been venting this media criticism, <laughs> in Einsteinian fashion, for nearly fifteen years having first laid it out in the blog commentary, Massacre in Omaha, on December 7, 2007. In any event, the first thing that struck me when I tuned into coverage of this mass shooting was the stark juxtaposition between the phalanx of police securing the scene, all of whom were white, and the crowd of grievers standing by, all of whom were black. And, as I watched three white cops arresting this white supremacist, I could not help wondering if they were going to take him to Burger King before taking him to jail. I'm referring, of course, to the outrageous white privilege white cops granted the white supremacist who gunned down those nine blacks in Charleston after they welcomed him into their church. But about that stark juxtaposition, I have to make this public confession. In blog commentaries and podcast episodes, like American Menace, White Cops Killing Black Men, on April 17, 2021, I have denounced outraged black men who seem perfectly willing to cede the role of protecting and serving their communities to white men who seem all too eager to patrol black communities like invading soldiers. Yet, 
here was a black man protecting and serving his community only to be gunned down in this infamous and cowardly fashion by a white punk. And so I hope his heroic death and the sight of that phalanx of white policemen will move black men to see community policing not only as a cultural and existential imperative, but as their personal responsibility, too. During arguments with my non-American friends, I often have cause to share my Dickensian refrain about the wonder of America being that it has the best and the worst of all things. I find that helps to explain so much of the civil strife that makes America seem like a country continually at odds, not just with its ideals, but with itself. Of course, America prides itself on being a melting pot that melts many immigrants from all over the world to become one. And... And despite growing racial tensions that are manifesting in hate crimes and growing political tensions that are manifesting in Jim Crow laws, I always punctuate my Dickensian refrain by asserting that I've traveled enough and read enough to know that there is no place on earth I'd rather live than in the good old U.S.A. That said, I fear that idiom about the melting pot, where diverse peoples become one, might be unraveling into that parable about the Tower of Babel, where diverse peoples begin fighting each other. America has had a really good run as a nation of immigrants. <laughs> Some might say it has been an improbable run. But signs abound that things are falling apart in ways not seen since the ominous years that preceded the Civil War. And those signs of political dysfunction and civil unrest have been there for years, for anyone to see. In fact, nothing galvanized the lunatics who believe that great replacement conspiracy, quite like the election of Barack Obama as the first black president of the United States in 2008. But my producer has cautioned me, about littering these podcast episodes with recitations of titles to block commentaries, just to prove a point. Therefore, I shall suffice to say that you need only type in the words Civil War in the search bar of my blog to see how comprehensively I've been sounding the alarm in this respect. The point is that America now seems hell-bent on tearing itself apart.
But you are missing the point. If you think the only thing we have to fear is radicalized white supremacists going on lone wolf shooting rampages, because the insurrection of January 6 was a dress rehearsal for the kind of civil war, no less a person than the hero of the first one, warned about. Here is how I quoted former President Ulysses S. Grant in the podcast episode Online Comments and the Fate of Democracy on June 13, 2021. If we are to have another contest in the near future of our national existence, I predict that the dividing line will not be Mason and Dixon's, but between patriotism and intelligence on the one side, and superstition, ambition, and ignorance on the other. End quote. Of course, nobody knows what frame of reference Grant had in mind when he made that prediction in 1875. But we are clearly now engaged in a contest, fueled by QAnon superstition, manipulated by Republican ambition, and championed by MAGA ignorance. And for those of us on the side of intelligence and patriotism, we have far more to fear from white men like Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson who can radicalize thousands to storm the U.S. Capitol, than from white men like mass shooters, who, after being radicalized by the likes of Trump and Carlson, go out and gun down nine or ten people. In fact, many are blaming Carlson for radicalizing this shooter, but Trump and Carlson are just performing monkeys, or, to be politically correct, useful idiots for Rupert Murdoch. And this Aussie interloper is more diabolically intent on destroying America from the inside than Vladimir Putin is on doing so from the outside. Biden had Washington all a Twitter last month when he called Murdoch the most dangerous person in the world for allowing Carlson and others to use his Fox News channel to feed millions of Americans a daily diet of dystopian lies and conspiracies. Except that this was tantamount to waiting until after the insurrection of January 6th to call Trump the most dishonest person in the world. After all, some of us have been warning for years about the clear and present danger Murdoch posed. And here is where I would normally list titles to a number of blog commentaries to make my point. 
But, as I mentioned earlier, she who must be obeyed admonished me to stop doing that. Except I'd be remiss not to refer you to the podcast episode, Rupert Murdoch, His Fox News, and The Poisoning of America, on December 21, 2021. Because in it, I not only make the case for why Murdoch is the most dangerous person in the world, but also call out some of the most prominent people in the world, many of them Jewish, for blithely socialising with this man, who is arguably the most mercenary anti-Semite on the planet since Joseph Goebbels. As for this inexorable march America is on, towards that second contest Grant warned about, many pundits seem to think D-Day is next month, when, as expected, the Supreme Court hands down its decision banning abortion rights. There is no denying the ominous analogy that can be fairly drawn between the galvanizing role this Republican-controlled Supreme Court is playing, as divisions grow between red states and blue states today, and the role the pro-slavery Supreme Court played, as divisions grew between states on either side of the Mason-Dixon line in the years before the Civil War. In fact, this court has handed down a series of decisions, most notably suppressing voting rights and ending affirmative action, which make its Republican-appointed justices little more than handmaidens delivering outcomes to please MAGA Republicans. But what I first stated in commemorating and finally recognising the Tulsa Race Massacre 100 years later, on June 1, 2021, bears restating here, and so I quote, The final battle in this war will come when Congress convenes in January 2025 to count the electoral votes and certify the presidential election of 2024. What do these voter-suppressing MAGA-pawns, who are now passing laws to rig elections in red states across America, think is going to happen when they attempt to present their trumped-up electors? Do they think electors from blue states are just going to roll out the red carpet for their two-legged orange calf to return as president? Civil War Two: Red States versus Blue States And trust me, just as Trump himself dodged the fight on January 6. No Trump will be among the idiots fighting this war for his cause either. Oh, and Biden, not Trump, 
will be commander-in-chief. <laughs> so, in the immortal words of Inigo Montoya, prepare to die, suckers. <laughs> End quote. Frankly, nothing is more presumptuous and dangerous in American life these days than white Republicans provoking a race war because, like the white Russians they admire so much, they think they can win it just by propagating big lies about it. What's more, just as Russians were too blinded by their own web of lies to see, the international support Ukrainians would have. Republicans are too blinded by theirs to see. The national support blacks would have. But here's a hint. In a race war between whites and blacks in America, I would bet my life savings that there would be more whites fighting alongside blacks than whites fighting against them. In the meantime, it can only be a matter of time before the Jim Crow 2.0 laws, which Republican state legislatures are busy passing across the country, begin triggering civil unrest. We bemoan political warfare between Republicans and Democrats today. But MAGA Republicans are willfully provoking racial warfare between white supremacists and everyone else that will make that political warfare look like a tea party. And talk about history repeating itself. Southerners may not have triggered the first civil war just to preserve slavery, but they certainly did so to maintain the privileges and presumptions of white supremacy. Likewise, Republicans may not be triggering the second civil war just to make America the land of Jim Crow again, but they are certainly doing so to reclaim the privileges and presumptions of white supremacy. So don't be surprised if America becomes a battlefield long before the presidential election of November 2024. But with all due respect to Abraham Lincoln, I am convinced that no matter how divided it becomes against itself, America can and will stand. That's it. Subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for thought-provoking commentaries, often laced with humor, I invite you to visit my blog 
at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.